Welcome to A Writer in Italy, the podcast. I am your host, Michelle Johnston, and this is a little share in the world of travel, books, art, and lifestyle. I live in Australia, yet have long had an attraction to the Mediterranean countries for as long as I can remember. This inspiration has fueled my creative life and given me incredible joy over the years as an artist and a writer. And that is why I have created these shares on journeys that have been made, books that I have loved, and cooking adventures inspired by wonderful food writers. You can find all show notes at michellejohnston.life and follow me on Instagram at a writer in Italy where you can find all of the meanderings and indeed the lure of Italy as the ultimate muse. Thank you for joining me. I love having you here for the journey of Muse Italia. Welcome. I wanted to share some books that I've enjoyed reading and listening to over the past year. There have been many along the way, as many of you know. Also, I wanted to ask that if you have any great suggestions, feel free to send me a message on the email or direct message me on Instagram, and that would be great too, so feel free to do that. Let's start with a light but informative read. I picked this one up last summer and lay on the beach reading this bright yellow book. Serendipity, from truffles and champagne to cornflakes and coffee. Stories of accidental success. In life, there are bad accidents and good accidents. This one concentrates on the latter, bringing together stories and the true tale of how the thing became a thing. There are almost 50 short essays on delightful stories about food and beverages, from coffee to farinata to parolo to balsamic vinegar, from the hills of Emilia-Romagna to Tuscany and Chianti's Black Rooster. Oscar Farinetti, the author, shares stories and antidotes with a light touch about the history and the beauty of the accidental mistake that led to some of our favourite flavours, cuisines and ingredients. And it's not all Italian discoveries, but certainly there are many. I love the introduction, quote, we make a lot of mistakes and often we take the wrong path. Sometimes we are looking for something we've lost and instead we find something else we were searching for. It happens because we are imperfect, but that's not a bad thing, end of quote. He goes on to suggest you try each food as you read the essay. I love these possibilities and I do sense that while you are making something wonderful happen, yes, you are evolving and potentially on your way to something truly sublime. A book to read from cover to cover, or by Epicurean Curiosity. One random chapter at a time. This is one of my favourite books for this year, and a great share for the holidays. It's kind of perfect, since it speaks to the family circle and the people in it. Family Lexicon. For years, I had wanted to read this award-winning fiction book by Natalia Ginsberg. I know she is an icon of literature and truly a gifted writer. Family Lexicon is fiction, but Ginsberg said herself it was all true. 
Now, my suggestion is you listen to this one on Audible if you're into that. It's a more recent edition and it is flawless. It's like a theatre production in your ears. The narration is superb by Suzanne Torren and translated by Jenny McPhee from Italian into English. Natalia Ginsberg was born in Palermo, Italy in 1916. Ginsberg was three years old when the family moved to the industrial city of Turin in the far north of Italy. Her father, Giuseppe Levy, a university professor and medical researcher, was Jewish, and his wife, Lydia Tanzi, was born to an Italian Catholic family, although neither of her parents practiced religion. The house was full of life and laughter, and literature was at the centre of their world, as was the backdrop of the uprising of fascist Italy. The family was not having it and practiced serious anti-fascism as a rule. The title of the book has changed over the years from Family Sayings to Family Lexicon or the original 1963 title, The Things We Used to Say. Described as an affectionate and an ironic chronicle of domestic life, in the period of 1920 to 1950, Family Lexicon honours the family norms and the language that make a family not only unique, but utterly precious. It was in London with her second husband that Ginsberg wrote the iconic Family Lexicon, her sixth book. Writing about her family life in Italy became a remedy of sorts in isolating and cold London. She wrote to reconnect with her Turinese upbringing and savour the stories of her childhood memories. Family Lexicon won the coveted Striger Award in 1963, and still today is a classic and brilliant book. It was on my own journey to see my own strange parent, many kilometres away in Tasmania, that I listened to this book. My father, a recluse and a man of varying ailments, quite rather ill, was in hospital. As Richard drove the rental car, I had one ear free to talk and the other with an earpod listening to family lexicon as I mused over the landscape and the comical and dark parts of this book. Perhaps a dark comedy to a degree. Yes, you could say that. A family life that is rich in detail. Their world was colourful and somewhat optimistic considering the tone of what was unfolding in reality. My next share well, this year I finally read Anthony Doerr, Four Seasons in Rome. It is one of those books. I started it and then felt completely envious of the year in Rome thing. And I put it down back on the table. Perhaps I threw it on the table, actually, sighing heavily and feeling a little bit defeated, if I'm really honest. And it was just purely where I was at at the time. But I later picked it back up and it became such a beautiful solace, a remedy of sorts actually, because it is so beautifully written, as many of you know. So this actual book itself happened quite accidentally as a work of nonfiction. A year abroad with his wife and newborn twins, two boys that were six months old at the time, and working as a fellow at the American Academy in Rome. Basically, a year abroad to research and write. Yet in the meantime, Doa was taking notes, writing 
a diary with warm, enthusiastic sketches of this fresh, alive Roman world that soon found its way into Doa's daily observations. I admit my copy of this book is completely dog-eared. It's a little bit of an embarrassment and quite offensive to the page. But I think in a way it's a guide to the places that spoke to me at the time and lifted me up. I open it up again six months later to the words and the pages and the underlying scrawlings and I feel the plunge of circumstance, memory, detail and a kind of renewal as the words float to the surface. Doa was in the middle of living a life as a father, as a writer and researcher, supporting his wife and the realities of parenting and in the meantime, Rome came alive the ancient black cobbles and the burnt orange walls, the stucco in radiant, effervescent detail. Read it once and then again. Someone mentioned this week they read it once a year. A beautiful idea I might borrow. Four seasons in Rome, on twins, insomnia, and the biggest funeral in the history of the world. And so there are a thousand great travel narratives we can choose from this century or another. Pleasures and Landscapes, A Traveller's Tales from Europe by Sybil Bedford is a collection of travel essays written between 1954 and 2001 for magazines and whatnot at the time. Bedford executes a fine line. It's not too personal but direct and true. I think if I had to take a book or two with me on a travel journey for a little writing inspiration, this one would be at the top of the pile. Words dazzle and life was free. She did buck convention, had women lovers and no kids, travelled alone or with friends. Yet Bedford was not an easy woman. Spirited and a keen traveller, she was known for her quick tongue and acerbic wit. In one of my favourite books, Provence 1970 by Luke Barr, she was painted as difficult and cold, yet brilliant and talented, about her life and adventures along the way. I love the first chapter. It starts off like this. A homecoming, Capri, 1948. Quote, The Naples boat was on time. The crossing, it was May. Had not been too gruelling. Lightly one stepped ashore and into the vernacular, and, after a brief, slow ascent, emerged into the piazza, still warm under a late afternoon sun. I was elated. To be back. To be back anywhere in those days. The year was 1948. Felt a miracle. One responded with a delirious sense of freedom. Rediscovery, renewal. The Europe for so long known to be held down in agony and chaos so long believed lost to us, possibly forever, was beginning to be regained. I had spent immense privilege, the winter in Italy, Venice first, then Florence, and now living somewhat precariously in a backstreet hotel in Rome. I had stayed up late the night before, all hours were precious, then left at dawn, driving south, chanting poetry to myself in the car I had been entrusted to deliver. And... I just noticed this underlined page here. Page 23. The quality of travel. France and Italy, 1961. 
A part, a large part, of travelling is an engagement of the ego versus the world. And that's how that chapter starts. The world is transport, the roads, the clerks behind the counters, who deal out tickets, mail, messy money, keys. It is the porters, the waiters, the tourist industry, the natives, the weather. The world is hydra-headed, as old as the rocks and as changing as the sea, enmeshed inextricably in its ways. The ego wants to arrive at places safely and on time. It wants to be provided with entertainment, colour, quiet, strong coffee, strong drink, matches it can strike, and change for a large paper note. It wants to find a room ready, warmth, cool, hangers, the right voltage, an ashtray, and clean towels. It wants the shops to be open and dinner at 6.30 or at half past 10pm. It wants to be soothed, reassured, attended to, left in peace. Another brilliant audiobook, a little left out field, and not exactly Italian theme, but I'm going to share it anyway. The book on audio, Managing Expectations, a memoir in essays by the actress Minnie Driver. Now, this is a succulent listen, you could say. Another book that is theatre in your ears. Yes to Driver and her sharing and discovering her voice in acting and on the page. There is the great reflection in her acting career with Isabella Rossellini and that moment in Stanley Tucci's cult film, The Big Night. And there is the crazy story of the brilliant moment at the Miami Hotel by herself as a child. Funny, poignant, and executed beautifully, a book that has you weeping by the end. And yes, it's won an award or two. Best audio, brilliant storytelling. On Audible, it says this, quote, a book about how things not working actually worked out in the end, end of quote. Yes, maybe it's a theme for me this year, haha, <laughs> hence my interest in serendipity, etc. Okay, let's talk about A Place in the World, Finding the Meaning of Home by Frances Mays, another author who cannot write a dull sentence. At the end of May's A Year in the World, she writes, quote, Living and travelling in Europe, especially Italy, I've lived in places where art and beauty boil everyday life, and there I have felt the most at home, home where everything connects, end of quote. I like that sentence, home where everything connects. I resonate with that. In the very last paragraph of the book, she says, Quote, when I finish my travels, I will solve the riddle of home. And so over the years, after reading and listening to the book on audio too, I have wondered about that beautiful sentence. Curious myself, since I am one of those people who likes to be a homemaker, I always have, since a yellow and green house of my childhood would make itself known and memorable, and what do I find as an adult? Another yellow house and a bountiful garden. At 29, I started planting roses, pale yellow, apricot white, magenta pink. 20 years later, I'm a bit more particular. I buy a second Just Joey for the teacup-sized blooms, another Souvenir del Maison to pop out from the orchard gate. But equally, in the same breath, 
I want to leave and find myself on a train to Naples, to Campania, to the wild coastlines of Italy. So there is always the push and the pull, you could say. A place in the world explores this theme. Travel essays interspersed with narratives on the allure of place and the spiritual elements that make a home home. To buy a home in a foreign country, the North Star, a magnetic pull, the line, quote, the great old Tuscan sun pouring into every room warmed me up, end of quote, sole the sun, casa dolce casa, the risk to try something new, the great sun, always symbolic of a new beginning, in a book of tarot, mirror for the soul, Ziegler says, the sun card is the highest energy card and bathes everything in its light. And the Tuscan sun, well, has lit a thousand fantasies for us all. And so Mays shares her Italian life with her husband Ed too, reflecting upon the times and the days, with some new additions and a few lines from older books too. But my favourite travel narrative is the one I once found in a book called A Fork in the Road, Tales of Food, Pleasure and Discoveries on the Road. The title, Blue Apron, makes its way into this companion too. I have always loved this piece of writing. It is fun and evocative of a time before Tuscany was home, when Mays set out with a friend to cook with the cookbook author Simone Beck, from the iconic book with co-author Julia Child and Louisette Bertol, mastering the art of French cooking. An iconic moment to be in grass in the hills behind the French Riviera. Anyway... You will find that short essay in there too, along with many new superb pieces of writing. And what's more, I am glad that at any age, Mays still lives in Italy, still writes, shares and travels. I adore that. As I flip the cards in my own life, that home can be found in many places on this spinning globe. And... My recent cookbook edition is beautiful and evocative of Italy. It is by Enrica Monzani from a small kitchen in Genoa called Liguria in Cucina, the flavors of Liguria. Interestingly, it is written and published first in Italian and then each chapter follows in English. I like that. A great way to marry both worlds and great if you would like to catch up on the Italian language skills. Enrica runs cooking classes and food tours in the capital of Liguria and one of my favourite cities in Italy, Lively Genova. Known for its famous pesto dishes, but of course the cuisine goes beyond the obvious. The colourful image in the book take in many of the beautiful coastal villages of Liguria, La Spezia, Ventimiglia, Porto Veneri and many more. So anyway, it is a beautiful discovery. I have tasted the cuisine a few times now, the farinata and the dye for focaccia, down in the seaside village of Camoli, about 20 minutes on the train from Genova, and so I know the flavours of Liguria, a place of mountains and sea, a colourful multi-layered destination that marries the maritime past with a modern Genova that still elicits a thrill of curiosity and wonder down the many labyrinthine Karuji the slim, slim alleyways in the Centro Storico, in the old city, a place of historic cafes, chocolatiers, restaurants, gastronomy, and decaying beauty. 
somewhat like Naples in places, but certainly unique with the myriad of ethnic shops and the vast history of the port city. And so there you go. These are a few to tempt you along the way. Maybe you have already read them, but why not go and enjoy them again? And that is, I think, the beauty of an excellent library of books in your house, tempting and nourishing you by the fire or by the sea, if you're like me right now. And so I'll be back in early 2024 with a new chapter for A Writer in Italy, the podcast. Take care. We'll see you soon.